You're listening to Once, episode 272, I'll Be Your Mirror. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. And I'm Heather Ordover. And we are ready to discuss this episode, I'll Be Your Mirror, which is such a a wonderful thing to say to someone. I'll be your mirror. I'll be your constant. Desmond will be my constant. I don't know. Well, do you have any idea what that title references, either of you? I was trying to figure that out through every rewatch I did. All I could think of was, I'll be your puppet. (laughs) It's it's so not right. Well, I did some extensive research, and by that I mean I googled it while you were talking just now. And (laughs) I'll Be Your Mirror is a song by The Velvet Underground and Nico. It appeared on their 1967 debut album, The Velvet Underground and Nico. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know anything about it, but... It's a song title, and that feels like more than coincidence. Interesting. Well, regardless of how that ties into this episode, if you want to continue the conversation, share this podcast episode out or anything like that, please go to the show notes for all of our links, screenshots, references, and more at onespodcast.com slash 272. Before we get into our discussion here, one of the things to point out is... How we normally do our discussion is we split between the past and the present, like flashbacks and then current, or we split between different realms, but that didn't happen in this episode. No or flashbacks. We, we still had a different realm, but it was short-lived and it was running directly concurrently with current events and even interacting with them. Yeah, basically just like, meanwhile, on the other side of town. So if we stopped... If we started the episode by having a whole discussion about the things that happened in Mirrorland, that would be really weird. Right. (laughs) But. So we're not going to do that. This episode uh, was also had something new. I'd mentioned in initial reactions that it was written by Leah Fawn. And I didn't realize this. This was actually her first episode as a writer for the episode. She's been previously a story editor on all of the other episodes so far of this season, except for the first episode of the season, The Savior. And Jerome Schwartz, who was the other writer on this episode, has been a producer or co-producer on a bunch of episodes and a writer for some of the good episodes, the really good episodes from the last couple seasons, including episodes like Last Rites, Smash the Mirror, and others like that. So here are, I think, two really good writers. What is it with him and mirrors? <laughs> and these two really good writers got together and did a good episode. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's not one of those best of episodes, but it is a good episode, I think. It was. It was. It was. There were a lot of zingers in this one, too. True. Mm-hmm. It was fun to watch. I really liked. It was. And again, when you don't get the sense as we start the podcast that I'm wanting to sort of beat my head against the wall, then it was probably a pretty good episode. (laughs) That will be my metric forever now. They've even managed to have two episodes involving a sleeping curse. This was the first full one, and we didn't have to see a burning red room or hear about it. 
I do wonder about that. And so let's <laughs> I know it is sort of canonical. Let's start off our conversation at the beginning of the episode, and we will be going through this episode in the same order that you see it on TV, which doesn't happen often for us. But uh, with this this little scene setting up for the nice heart-wrenching montage, but before that, <laughs> Regina mentioned that she needs she wants to go hurt the evil queen. And, to which I say, can't you do it from right where you are? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and how is she going to do it? Is, is she thinking like, oh, I need to go kill myself. I need to go hang myself. I need to go cut off my hand and my that'll goodness, cut off her you've got hand. lots of ideas for how Regina could possibly harm herself. <laughs> and, and my question is, does she just want to see Evil Queen's face, which really she could just look in a mirror when she gets ready to do it? Yeah, exactly. What's she going to go do? Yep. She could pull out her own heart and squeeze it a little bit. I was impressed that it was even on her mind, that any kind of self-sacrifice, because it seems like that has to be tied in there somehow, mm-hmm. that that she would suffer, especially with what happens later with gold. Right. That the fact that she would even go there really demonstrates, number one, it's good Regina. And number two, that's even it being just good Regina. That's a big switch for her. I was impressed. Mm-hmm. She's a mensch. There was a little seed planted in this scene that we'll discuss more, but I want to bring this out here right now, is Emma said, I can't be there, so you have to be. And several times in this episode, we do see this fatalistic approach Emma is taking that I I know I'm going to die, so better make plans for it. Better make sure everyone else knows they can't die because I'm going to have to die. (laughs) I think specifically this would be parents of Henry. Well, yeah. (laughs) We're only allowed one death per year, so that's me, and no. But despite the despair for the day, they start the the kiss-off. The (laughs) kiss-off. But even before that, well, they tried to start it, and then Snow was like, she got all creepy, and then she smashed the mirror. Huh. Jerome Schwartz reference, maybe? A little bit. Smash the mirror? How did she know Evil Queen was watching? Or did she just... Probably just realized there's a mirror there, and she's probably watching and enjoying watching us suffer like this. I did wonder how she knew. I thought that was pretty pretty fabulous, but because it was creepy at first, I thought, "Uh uh-oh, well, what's what's going on with Snow there? Yeah. (laughs) But, But it did surprise me that she was able to get that. The montage was oh, the montage. really heart-wrenching. And yes, it was. Again, it was released as a preview that I watched after we recorded. I've allowed myself officially ABC-sanctioned, not-quite-spoiler previews after we podcast. Yeah. So once we've already got our theories and thoughts out there, I'll go ahead and watch sometimes when they come up. And I had seen the montage, and it made me really looking look forward to the episode. So I was particularly confused when she got all creeped out before she kissed him. I was like, wait a minute. That's not how this goes. What's wrong? Mm-hmm. But yeah, this it's exactly what I said. They were pen pals. <laughs> <laughs> Short distance pen pals, that is. But they even thought of using <laughs> smartphones. So good job. I wondered if every time they're switching back and forth, are they going to the burning red room? Or are they going to the place you go to before the burning red room? Um. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
I never liked the idea of any of that for the sleeping curse. But I don't know that they're shying away from things like that if even being trapped in the mirror comes with a whole world. Yeah. And they did both go under the sleeping curse before. So it makes sense for them to both be going to the burning red room each time, which, man, that's got to be horrible for them. The torture when you're awake, that you're, you're there with the person you love, but you're not really there with the person you love. Are they getting rested or do they also need to take time during their waking time to sleep? I did wonder about that too. Do they wake up thinking, boy, that was a great rest except for the whole burning red room thing. I feel really rested up. There is one convenient aspect. Don't you wish that you could just get in bed and fall asleep at the exact moment that you want to? That would be nice. Maybe. You got to take a curse for that. Heather, what do you think about the lyrics to the song playing? I thought it was a, an interesting song to pull I went ahead and pulled the lyrics, too, and went and got the video because I'd heard the video before, uh, or heard the, the song before many times when I was a kid. But I hadn't really paid attention to the in the morning part of it. And it, it didn't really change anything for me watching it, but it did bring up a question that I'd had way back at the beginning of this curse, which is, do they decide who's going to have how much daylight and who's going to have how much nighttime? Right. Have they planned this out? There's the practical side of, of me that starts to think of things like feeding the baby and yep. <laughs> going grocery shopping and he's the sheriff and stuff like that. And I'd kind of forgotten all of that until I got to the lyric in the morning and thought, oh, yeah, this would be really complicated. Dear David, why are you waking me up every time the diaper is dirty? <laughs> That's exactly what. <laughs> How did you know? Yeah. Yep. That's where I went. <laughs> it's the pedestrian side of life. It almost looked like they were alternating during the same day. It did. It did, which made some sense to me. Then each one of them would get some daylight. Each one of them would get some, some nighttime. But, but it would still be a complicated and difficult existence. Yep. So this leads into the vault with Regina trying to figure out what she can do. And they talked about the dragon. And thank you for acknowledging that the dragon has no name. <laughs> yes. I'm guessing it's Mushu, especially the way the dragon looks later on. Emma has such a funny approach to problem solving, though. She spent all day trying to contact the dragon. At least her logic was a little bit sound, more sound than, I'm going to rip my heart in half and give part of it the hook. It'll work. He's already dead. It'll work. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was a funny thing to spend quite that much time on, I thought. Yeah. Then we did get a little bit of Regina suddenly introduces new magical concept, which is the world behind the mirror. But I didn't hate it. Yeah, that's one I don't think is necessarily an add-on or retcon or anything like that. I think it makes total sense because we've only seen it from our perspective that Regina summons Sydney mm -hmm. and there he is in the mirror looking at her and she can mm -hmm. see through any mirror and she can ask Sydney to show her anything from any kind of mirror or reflective surface and we know that she trapped him in the mirror multiple times so knowing now that this is a whole world of one-way mirrors I think makes sense. You get to see the other side of the mirror, not uh, to our friends 
<laughs> but, but yeah, why a whole world? Why wouldn't there be other people there? Is Regina the only one who ever cursed anyone to be in the mirror? <laughs> and how come Sydney could appear, but Emma and Regina couldn't? Well, I think Sydney could because he was put in there to serve Regina, and Emma and Regina couldn't because Evil Queen prevented that she magicked all the mirrors or magic the world or did something basically mm. i was thinking how creepy they were gonna put her in there where she could look at any of them at any time <laughs> ew that's a good point but i digress so the plan is this time instead of saving henry which seems to be the recycled plot device we'll put <laughs> henry in danger <laughs> yay <laughs> But Emma's super concerned about a school. Don't you worry if you're also concerned about Henry's schooling. School definitely tops this. But does it? Absolutely it does, <laughs> said the former high school English teacher. You bet your beans, baby. <laughs> uh, I feel it that if up. both of your parents' lives are in jeopardy, perhaps that tops school. But... Well, sure. Go ahead and put it like that. <laughs> and when both parents' lives are in jeopardy, apparently they're not there to help you make wiser movie choices. <laughs> the Breakfast Club is rated R. Mm. Yes, and it is. Uh, one of our listeners sent in some feedback basically saying there's stuff in there that just, no, that's not an appropriate movie for a, a date or, or certainly not for Henry. It's rated R. 16 Candles. Might have been better. That's rated PG. But being from the 80s and being rated PG could mean <laughs> yeah, other Henry, There's, there's going to be language. Stop warping your middle school girlfriend. <laughs> She's lived a medieval life. <laughs> but an interesting thing, a connection between both of those movies, The Breakfast Club and 16 Candles, is both contain the actress Molly Ringwald. So why the connection? I have no idea. Interesting little tidbit, throw that out there, and maybe someone out there, you're thinking, oh my gosh, that connects to this and this and this and this and this. Fantastic. You can comment on the show notes, oncepodcast.com slash 272. I didn't see any connection other than the same actress. Maybe her favorite song was, I'll Be Your Mirror. Maybe. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, some of the connections they pull from these things. Uh, I'm racking my brain. I got nothing. I don't know who she is, so. Oh, you're so young and innocent. <laughs> well, maybe I'd know her face. Now I have to look it up. Yeah, go look her up and tell me. More homework. Jeremy, what'd you think about using Henry for bait for the evil queen and, and her reaction? Oh, I think that his uses as bait are multifaceted. No, but seriously, I thought it was, it was, a. I mean, the idea was whatever, but I had more logistical questions like, how did he get a message to her? I don't think that she probably has a cell phone yet. Also, can you imagine the billing confusion that would exist? And so I would think that he would have to communicate with her in a way that would bring her to him instantly or that would mean he was in front of her. So how did they get her out to the beach? She just said, you wanted to see me? Well, what did he do? Go to the beach and shout into the air? Or, or, or probably just say something like Regina or Evil Queen or, or summoned her in some way that she could hear and then just teleport over to him. Well, but anyway, it. Uh, I mean, I think he was right. She would never hurt him. Well, hurt, well, hurt in the traditional sense and also 
never is probably a bit much, but I don't think that she would intend him harm that she At considers least harm. long-term physical incapacitating yes. crippling harm. Yes. <laughs> She's not going to kill or maim him. Correct. But she does seem to look at Henry differently than Regina looks at Henry. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Throughout, she's very Cora-like in her mm. approach to Henry. Mm-hmm. And mothering in, in general. Right. And the parts of her, well, the parts of Regina raising Henry that came from evil queen side of her, I guess is how you could put it, were parts that she learned, in a sense, from Cora. Mm-hmm. Actually, my my sixteen year old. I was telling him about this episode today, and and he was asking me about the split between Regina and Evil Queen, and he he said, "Oh, so they're doing it this way?" Or, well, no, are they doing it this way? And finally, he said, "Oh, so Regina still has the capacity to have empathy, and the Evil Queen doesn't, and that's where the division is." And that stopped me, and I thought, oh, I'm going to have to think about this mm. one for a little while because I think that actually might be. You know, because the evil queen isn't insanely rage-filled and just spinning off evilness all over the place. She's fairly calm and, and shows some restraint in this episode. Right. And Regina still has moments where she can say things like, except for that tragedy of a dress. And that's, <laughs> that's kind of snarky, but fun. I found myself having a hard time explaining it to my son until he said that. And then I thought, mm-mm-mm. I like that. Empathy's a good cutoff. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of cut off, their plan doesn't work. (laughs) So they get cut off and sent to the world of one-way mirrors, a new world for us. Add that somewhere to the map of magical realms. They had it coming. Mm. (laughs) The second Uh they realized that she switched the mirrors, I mean, they could have been gone. Yeah. (laughs) But no, they stood there and, what? And... Poof. And that's exactly what they had coming. So glad they got out of it. But I hope they learned a lesson. <laughs> now who's the high school English teacher? <laughs> it's a bit odd that they can't use their magic in this world. What do you right? think of that, Heather? I could not figure that one out. The whole place is magic. So does that just mean that people who are trapped there can't utilize magic? Well, Which we- seems different to me from... There's no magic. The dragon could use his magic. Oh, shoot. You're right. Or at least mm. uh, the magic to be able to transform into a dragon. I'm not sure that he Where had control from. at all of that because it seemed like Regina was controlling him at that point. So maybe. Yeah. Well, well or, if that's uh, evil the queen, true that him evil that queen. we've never seen, then maybe there's a difference between having and using magic and being a magical creature (laughs) or Mm. being or whatever and so that's just his nature Mm. and Mm. so then he transformed Mm. so evil queen goes back to henry or to the charmings to with with some kind of plan to ensure everything works out for henry for what kind of plan is that that she's thinking henry and violet she wants that to work out perfectly uh, it sounds kind of like a menacing plan, but we never really see that come to any fruition. See, I, that's yeah. if there were any missteps in the writing, it's in going back through this that I that's where I think it is. Because on the one hand, it seems like she's hiding that she's an imposter, essentially. But 
really she has to have planned everything all along, including Henry figuring it out, if her plan as we see it unfold through the episode was the same throughout. And it seemed to be. Mm -hmm. I think she was planning this the whole time. Everything, aside from pretending to be Regina, everything else she did and said is consistent with, I'm going to reveal to Henry that his moms are trapped in the mirror land and force him to kill to save them because I'm going to make him strong because my plan for him is to make everything work out. And that confidence is what mm. will attract Violet, right? Is that where she was probably going I don't think she cares that? that much about his relationship with Violet. It seemed like she did. I think we were maybe supposed to think that. Okay, I, I can understand Maybe. That. Yeah, I think that's where I got some some threat vibe. The um, I'm going to make sure everything works out was talking about her more than about him. He he was thinking about Violet. Hmm. And the, the context that they were talking in was Violet. But I don't know that that's what uh, Evil Queen as Regina was talking about. It sure read threat, threat to me when when I was listening. But at the same time, I thought she'd also rip snow in half for walking up to her and saying, oh, you got rid of all of that ugly, awful evilness inside of you, and that's just <laughs> great that you just threw her away in the garbage can and stomped all over it. And I was really waiting for explosions, but she did. She pulled it back. Yeah, I, I would have even expected both Snow and Regina to, like actual Regina, not evil queen Regina, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. both of them, the good people, to still acknowledge something about it was an unfortunate part that was still a part of me, mm-hmm. but not like to say, oh, it was complete garbage and, and you know, throw it under the bu- bus and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you notice the subtle wardrobe change for Evil Queen Regina? Only because I saw something go by on Twitter <laughs> comparing. <laughs> what, was it? what was I not paying well, attention to? I, I don't to? know what happened. I missed a costume cue? It, yeah, subtle. Now, Evil Queen and Regina are wearing the same outfit. <laughs> Is it the shoulders? No. Um, Regi- okay. I don't want to describe the details, but Regina's <laughs> um, looks more classy, <laughs> whereas Evil Queen's looks more seductive. But only when she goes to see gold. No, I noticed it when Evil Queen... When she does that whole shadow thing, which, by the way, that's the really cool yes, shadow. That was really the cool. The shadow shifting just before Regina entered the Charming's house when she went to yep. try and help save Henry from Oh, I didn't Violet. even notice that. Um, great oh, little... McGonagall. Totally awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, it, it was right then when we first saw Evil Queen disguised as Regina. That's when I oh, noticed yeah. it, and I realized yeah, that that's the same outfit. Sure, the same colors, the same... Uh. Hmm. patterns and all of that but it fits quite differently oh and it fit mm-hmm. and it it's a little bit of that evil queen coming out i mean, look at just in general compare evil queen attire to regina attire regina is very professional looking yeah evil queen is royal and seductive looking well okay so mm-hmm. i didn't notice i was there was a specific element that i was looking for because of the comparison i'd seen and that change had not been made. Okay. 
But when she went to see gold, there's actually a layer missing, (laughs) (laughs) making the whole thing, the whole neckline just a little bit more plunging, (laughs) Mm. as the villains apparently do, as we previously noted. (laughs) Yes, in season one, all villains, even Peter Pan, have plunging necklines. Well, you know. (laughs) It's just a rule on the show, apparently. Speaking of gold, Mm -hmm. Belle discovered the, the... locked shop there and then just went off to see Zelina then since I guess they're now sister sister sort of and here's Zelina again being all wicked and drinking tea Mm. yeah I mean if she would drink coffee she'd probably be getting back on the good side (laughs) I I am going to put a shout out out to my listeners in the UK just to find out what's going on with that I mean I like tea and all, but well, you know, look at Zelina's actions. <laughs> Most of what she's done this season is stay in her house, mm-hmm. drink tea, eat, take care of her baby. She's not doing much wicked there. Yeah, there's some stuff that she's colluding with Regina, sort of evil queen Regina, that is. <laughs> but when we're not looking, she's saying things to the baby like, "And what do we call people we don't like?" And she's <laughs> she's teaching wicked things to the baby. Maybe not. I hope not. I thought it was strange to hear Belle sort of play off of Zelina perceiving letdowns from Regina. Hmm. Because I don't know that Belle would actually see Regina's actions as letting Zelina down. Maybe she would. Maybe she has. But it was still a little bit odd. Well, And the one that was left out of that, which was probably too painful to mention, you've been let down by the people close to you. You've been let down by Regina, by so-and-so, by so-and-so, and and Mm -hmm. by that guy you loved so deeply just (laughs) last season. You know, Hades, remember him? You know, Hades. (laughs) Yeah, you were let down by him too. And yeah, Uh, she didn't bring up that one. No, I I thought that was a, a tender mercy on that one. I was waiting for it, and I was really glad that it wasn't there. But I also thought it was kind of funny when Belle said, you and I are somewhat alike, because I was expecting the next thing to be, because we were both on Lost. (laughs) (laughs) I've never been able to get it out of my mind. That's funny. I forgot. (laughs) See, I, I I watched a lot of Lost. But I don't know that they ever had any scenes together. I was looking for that earlier today and couldn't find anything. None that I remember. I see Jeremy doing his processing. Yeah. (laughs) Process, process, process. So Belle asks Aladdin to steal the wand for her. Because, yeah, why not hire the greatest thief in all the realms? That needs to be his title. Let's let's be clear about that. (laughs) As long as they like the superlatives. And Zelina getting to be her Zelina-y best. (laughs) Like most acts of idiotic heroism, it failed. (laughs) I thought that was one of the best written scenes we'd seen in a long time, just on the humor level, that it really was very fast and and there was a lot of funny going on. And they acknowledged that there's really no reason that they should even know Zelina just by Jasmine saying, who are you? (laughs) But then, but Zelina just totally ignored her, which is great too. Yeah. So, Evil Queen, disguised as Regina, goes to visit Gold's shop. More awkwardness. (laughs) She's looking for a town hall meeting, basically. And Rumpel is working on his spindle, which we see him working with later. And then it seems like all of that is to make that bracelet for Belle 
because mm-hmm. the bracelet looks like it's made from woven spun gold and enchanted. Mm-hmm. So apparently he just needs gold for any kind of special gold and a vial of magic or thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and five bucks will get you coffee. <laughs> he would he would drink tea. <laughs> we learn of the hammer of Hephaestus, which is a strange thing to bring into this. It seemed like the last season was the Greek mythology season, but we got more Greek mythology in this episode. And this is one of and those. why not? Hephaestus was the uh, Greek god of blacksmiths, craftsmen, artisans, sculptors, metals, uh, metallurgy, fire, and volcanoes. Basically hammer-related things. Yeah, Wait, a lot what, of... Wait, volcanoes? <laughs> Mount, Mount Etna is <laughs> where he worked. was... Uh, basically the craftsman to make the weapons for all of the other gods of Greek mythology. And here in Once Upon a Time, they say that what's unique about this hammer is that it's useful to those who don't have magic. The, the hammer's magic can be wielded by people who can't otherwise wield magic. And so the whole reason Regina or Evil Queen got that hammer was for Henry to be able to crush the heart so, so does- that that mean that non-magic people can't crush hearts? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense to me. Somewhat. Because something's keeping that thing alive. Yeah. So it might as well be a magical barrier that you can't crush unless you're magical. Right. Or for a regular person to crush it maybe doesn't actually destroy it. However, we have seen a non-magical person put a heart back in. Ulan put Aurora's heart back in, as I recall. Yeah, it's true. I guess it's pretty easy to do. <laughs> I mean, it's not crushing it. You just shove it back into their chest without opening a hole or anything. What's That's so all. difficult? I don't get it. <laughs> That's how magical it is. You just sort of shove it at them, and then it ends up in the right spot and everything. Because the heart wants to be where the heart wants to be. <laughs> is the thing. Yep, I think so. I thought it, I thought it was interesting that they brought in Hephaestus not not only because it's bringing in more Greek mythology, but because he's um, his background is really you know it's like you get okay Poseidon he's god of the oceans that's great and Zeus he's got the lightning bolt thing fabulous and Aphrodite's really pretty we're good Hephaestus has lots and lots of variations to his stories mm-hmm. but one of the things that comes up often is that there's something wrong with him, that he's broken somehow. And some of the stories are that his uh, his mom, Hera, was unhappy with him because he wasn't attractive, and so she threw him out of Olympus, and he fell, and uh, wound up crippled, his legs were broken. And often in on the sides of urns, you see him with his feet going the wrong way. So he'll be riding a horse going forwards, but his feet will be pointing backwards. Mm. But some people theorized a long time ago that it was actually Hephaestus's disabilities had been tied to the symptoms of arsenic poisoning. And arsenic poisoning is what made hatters go mad. Oh, interesting. I don't know if people at once upon a time have been reading the same websites that I've been reading. Mm -hmm. But, um, But Hephaestus was, as soon as they said that, I stopped and rewound it and went, wait a minute, okay, this has the potential to be a very interesting thing if they bring it back up again after this episode. If not, it'll be a, a great one-off, and that was lovely. But Some other interesting connections come from Time Spacer. They shared this in the forums. Time Spacer said, is the fact that 
Hephaestus eventually returned to Olympus and defeated his mother, a hint of things to come between Henry and the evil queen. Furthermore, Hera grew apples. Eris, the goddess of discord, threw one of these apples onto a table occupied by Hera, Athena, and Aphrodite. The apple was said to be intended for the fairest of all, a line later copied for use in the Snow White story. And all three goddesses immediately disrupted the peaceful feast by fighting for the apple. When Prince Paris of Troy awarded the apple to Aphrodite, Hera and Athena sought revenge by supporting the Greeks against the Trojans in the Trojan War as described by Homer's Iliad. Thank you very much, Time Spacer, for that insight. Yeah, it's true. Here's another suggestion of when and how we might see the hammer again. Grimster said, maybe Henry can use the hammer to make some thingamabob that can trap Evil Queen because... As I just read online, that's what Hephaestus did to his mother, Hera, who we know was Greek mythology's version of Evil Queen. He built her a golden chair, which she became bound to, and only he could free her. I would love them to use this story on Once Upon a Time, now that they brought in that particular hammer. That's really interesting. Interesting as it is, and here's a magical item that a non-magical person can use. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, I kind of feel like it's something we'll never see again. Yeah, it felt like a one-off. Or if we do, maybe it can be used on Belle's latest shackle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. That could be interesting. Mm-hmm. Evil Queen upgraded Cora's already evil famous saying, love is weakness. <laughs> love can be weakness. But it can also be a weapon. And I'm going to use it thought, on my son. <laughs> that was terrifying, except that in my head, all I had was Pat Benatar's Love is a Battlefield. <laughs> and so that that just lost all of the impact for me. <laughs> That's scary, using a weapon on your child. Yeah. I didn't like that part. But there again, that's another line pointing to planning the whole thing with the mirror and the hammer and the heart the whole time. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. While Emma and Regina are looking around in the land of one-way mirrors for the right one, they get to see Henry. And a couple interesting things said here. Mm-hmm. Evil Queen, disguised as Regina, is telling Henry about how he's royalty and he could be a king in the land, in Enchanted Forest. And we've talked previously about how Henry is the heir of several kingdoms. What if... As much as I think they probably will end Once Upon a Time, the whole series, showing the book that says something like, and they lived happily ever after the end, and the book closes, something like that. What Mm -hmm. if part of that scene or part of the last thing, and I could think this could be giving us a little hint, is that Henry becomes a king back in Enchanted Forest, and he's ruling the land justly and kindly. Because after all... How long has it been since the Enchanted Forest had a good ruler in power? You think of all the kings and queens and rulers that have been around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Snow and Charming were good rulers, but they were rulers for only a very short time. And that's because they took over the kingdom from bad rulers, Evil Queen Mm -hmm. and King George. But Henry could, I think it really, endgame is something Henry. With Once Upon a Time, it's going to end somehow with Henry. It started with Henry. It'll end with Henry. 
I think now right. as a king and we'll see the book somehow. That's my prediction. I vote yes. What else did you think about what Evil Queen had to say with Henry? With the, when she was talking about uh, Violet being a commoner? Yeah. Boy, that was the first time that I thought she blew it. Right. That that word was the word where all my alarms went off. Mm-hmm. And I thought the audio and the acting in, it was, in that sequence was really, really cool. And I thought Henry did a great job. But as I started to research more and more about Violet, I realized I missed something massive last season that her dad is Hank Morgan from the Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. And <laughs> yeah. and he's he's a Yankee in the classic sense of the word, just kind of cantankerous and troublemaking and straight talking. And he totally would have had real issues with his daughter being called a commoner. Because not because he would have been against it, but because to him it would have been, well, yeah. And you want to take it outside, babe? He's, he's he would have no problem going up against the queen. Well, even back in that previous season and story arc of Arthur and Camilla and all of that, we got to see her father. And we did see that he was all like, what? You like this boy who is of no noble blood? And I don't think he's deserving of you and... And that kind of thing. Was his issue with Henry that he was not nobility or that he was useless? I don't he exactly remember, but I do remember after that, Henry then started trying to learn how to use a sword. Mm. Yeah. I think it was because Henry was not a knight, basically, is why Violet's father didn't like Henry. Interesting. I want to go back and watch that episode again because i he's a really hard character to like in the book. And I lost more listeners doing Connecticut Yankee on Craft Lit years ago than on any book ever, because he's just, he's hard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and for Violet, I had a hard time liking Violet until this episode. And this one is the one where, in, the, in fact, in the next scene where I decided, yeah, I, I like her a lot now. <laughs> well, there hasn't been much chance for her to do anything but be polite. I yeah, guess <laughs> up she, until yeah, this true. point, it's like, yeah, yeah. There's Violet. She's yeah. she's Violet. Chicken address. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> she's got an interesting background. Um, Henry likes her. I don't know what else. Yeah, <laughs> there wasn't much Ash, else. That's right. Ash said um, that that the dad Hank Morgan was all worried because he said, "Oh, how are you going to protect her from ogres?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's very practical, I guess. Yeah. Well. Ogre Bridge. <laughs> Back in the land of one-way mirrors. We got to come up with a better name for it. The mirror land, <laughs> land mirror. Um, mirror. I like mirror land. In the mirror. They meet the dragon. So we know he's been here this whole time, not dead. But we were right. Remember, we theorized that maybe Regina pulled his heart out. Our theory back then mm. was she pulled out his heart so that she could have a heart. Because remember, Regina... Oh. Ripped out Evil Queen's heart, crushed it, and then Evil Queen went straight to the dragon. But right. no, she just kept his heart. But she did pull it out. That was still, we were right about that theory. We get a half a point. Yeah, and the whole way of the dragon not being in the way anymore is just that he was sent to this land to be a prisoner. But the dragon, this you know mystical Asian character... Uh, has a conflict of statements here. 
Everything is about balance, the dark and the light. This is a lesson sometimes learned at great cost. And just before that, he reminded Regina, I told you there's a battle winning inside of you and it was important for you to win, not to let it out. So as DeAndre points out, you cannot state that there's a balance between light and darkness and then say there's a battle between light and darkness. It's either one or the other. Light doesn't need darkness to survive, but the exact opposite. Darkness needs light to survive. And you can't continue to state that darkness is stronger than light because it isn't and it will never be. When you turn on a light in a pitch black room, there is no resistance or war between light and darkness. When you turn a light on in a dark room, there is light. End of the story. And if there is a war or battle inside of Regina between light and darkness... It's simply out of lack of identity. If Regina were truly grounded in who she is today and not base her life based on circumstances and outcomes and blame her past on said outcomes, then there may be no war waging inside of her because she's so rooted in who she is today that nothing could ever shake her. The evil queen persona may have gotten her to where she is today, but that is not her identity. And that persona does not define who she is at the end of the day. I I agree. Yeah. Learning from battles is one thing. Saying that the darkness has to be there in equal measure. I mean, that is kind of a yin and yang concept. But, you know, (laughs) I don't subscribe to it. And it goes back. I know we discussed this at length before. To what are they really calling darkness? Like, is darkness, let me use a different word here. Is darkness sin or is darkness mistakes? So, like, if you say, I wish I could have all the darkness removed from me. Well, it seems like for Regina, when she's talking about wanting the darkness removed, it kind of seems like she's talking about removing the mistakes she's made and her consequences from those mistakes and how they continue to influence her life. Well, they've set things up in a very unreal manner where doing something wrong darkens your heart and and then it's just sort of there and for her it's like there's this added measure of something trying to pull her back to the darkness all the time mm-hmm. at least that's how she put it so it's not even necessarily about the past and the things she's done it was just that the darkness was always calling her the evil queen was always inside trying to get her to be that again and to do it again and do more yeah and it's not like they could take all of that darkness and throw it into uh, i don't know a dragon egg that has a baby inside <laughs> that's such a wacky idea no potential for darkness <laughs> so lily you think she is uh the dragon's daughter because the dragon did say he lost a daughter he did. why would they say that if they don't want us all to think because okay here is a dragon baby and a dragon mother mm. and they're now looking for the father yep here is well, a dragon, we and he says they are. he lost his daughter. I think they've just been having lots of meals and sitting at home, yep. drinking coffee or tea. What, what season was Lillian? Uh, season four. Tea. Okay. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. They could have really helped out in some of these battles. 
Gareth said, I definitely think the dragon is Lily's father. I hope they actually bring Lily back instead of just alluding to the connection and moving on. Though, admittedly, this is still better than leaving it hanging with no resolution whatsoever, unlike Anastasia from Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Mm. Uh, well, that last comment notwithstanding, I, I mean, it'd be cool if they do it right. If there's no more talking about all the things that brought Lillian in the first place that never made any sense to anybody. Now, in the chat room, more people are voicing Aaron's theory, saying that they think the daughter the dragon lost is actually Mulan. Now, if you watch the Disney Mulan show, you'll see Mushu in there. Uh, is not Mulan's father, but Mushu is kind <laughs> of a guide to Mulan, and Mushu does look like this dragon, at least in shape, not as decorated as this dragon. Uh, Isn't he a different size? Well, yeah, there's that too. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm really guessing that this dragon is Mushu, especially since they never actually gave him a name, and we'll discover his name at some point. But I think we're not finished with the dragon, because now that Emma and Regina come out of the mirror in a little bit, I'm pretty sure that they're going to say, hey, the dragon is still in there. Let's bring him out. And then when they do at some point in this season, then Maleficent shows up with Lily and it'll be like, oh, I know you. That's, that's our dragon baby. <laughs> We're family again. Uh, smart of Henry to grab the heart so that he didn't burn his own heart. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about that coming up in a moment but you know who grabs our heart and saves it from the burning fires of a dragon that's poking our through a mirror breath <laughs> it's our heroes they are our heroes they protect our heart they protect the podcast Yay. they keep the podcast going we could not do the podcast without our wonderful heroes so for this episode i would like to thank lisa slack lisa r dj firewolf jill sherrod greg shope Aaron Nunnally and Marianne Lavati, plus our 26 heroes on Patreon. Thank you very much for your kind support of the podcast. We could not do this without you. I mean, without you, our podcast, our heart would just be sitting there and it would get either smashed by a magical handle wielded by someone who has no magical powers or dragon breath would come out and burn us up alive hmm. and you save us from that so thank you very much for being a kind hero to the podcast now if you haven't had the opportunity yet to be a hero or you'd like to hear your name mentioned in the podcast with a nice little shout out for being a hero to us then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero you can support the podcast for as little as a dollar per month or higher amounts to get your name mentioned once or multiple times in multiple episodes Go over there to oncepodcast.com slash hero to become a hero and support the podcast. And thank you for your support. Aladdin goes to steal from Gold's shop. And you'd think Gold would just know right away someone is in his shop. Ah, oh, but he did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he later he, he says that he does. But uh, <laughs> thanks, monkey. The, the monkey? <laughs> you think that's a little Abu reference? Oh, I'd say. Totally. Yes. Yeah. The Fez gives it away. <laughs> it's either Abu or the Doctor. It's that's right. It's nice to see Rumble spinning cool. again. Yes. <laughs> yes. However, I don't. Even though I think that he did know Aladdin was there, he. I don't think that he planted the wand in that really convenient spot on purpose. What was that about? I'm just gonna stick this wand in this drawer. 
Yeah, it does seem like something that would be better placed inside a safe or inside that chest. He keeps his vial of magic in the safe. I think that he, and he's kept squid ink in the safe. I think that he'd keep that wand in the safe. Yeah, I thought it was too easy. That, which wand was that? That was the apprentice's wand, right? Yes, because that's the wand that Zelina had used before to open a portal. And that's why they're getting the wand is so that Zelina can open a portal for Belle to be able to go to the Enchanted Forest and flee from Rumple. Now without tornadoes. <laughs> and in the place you don't want to be when a tornado happens, back in the land of mirrors, all kinds of glass and broken glass of that one mirror in Sydney's little house. Uh, they mentioned some more Greek mythology here. The Sisyphean task of putting the mirror back together references the Greek god Sisyphus. And basically, today in our language, we refer to a Sisyphean task as something that's laborious and futile. I actually never refer to a task like that. Well, you're uh, missing out, baby. <laughs> the Greek god Sisyphus, uh, that, that became a term from his name because that Greek god, as the mythology goes, was basically cursed to do this task over and over and over. And that is roll a stone up a hill. The stone comes back down and crushes him. Then he has to roll it up the hill again. It comes back down and crushes him. It's an endless, futile task that can never be completed. Like being a miller's daughter in the underworld. Yeah. I tell you what. (laughs) Yep. But great merchandising idea here. Coming soon from Disney and ABC, creators of Once Upon a Time, the Magic Mirror Puzzle Kit, complete with <laughs> deathly sharp shards of glass. It's fun for the whole family. Ages two and older. But it's gonna cost you. Snow Queen not included. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get it in your eye. You'll hate everybody. It doesn't, doesn't look like that difficult a task, the way they kind of showed Regina pick up a gigantic shard and put it directly in a magical ceiling location. Beginner's luck. You know, everyone yep. is like that. You, there's that one person who walks up to a puzzle and just grabs Which a piece free. and places it and, and places it perfectly. They didn't have to fish for pieces. They just see, oh, there's one piece. There it is. Okay, I'm done. I That's my magic for the night. pieces would have been more intimidating. And right now I'm trying real hard to assume that Sydney's not just that stupid. He was there for how long? And that, like, it's not done at all. What was he doing? Figuring out that it was even a thing. And then, like, gathering the pieces from all over. And then running back every time Regina called. Well, they're pieces of mirror. It's not like you can look at the box and see where something is supposed to go. What else was he doing? Yeah, true. He got some of it done. (laughs) Regina and Emma got as much as was already done. Finished in about three minutes well that was a couple pieces they never completed that mirror exactly now speaking of sydney in our initial reactions i mentioned where is sydney shouldn't he be in there too well i'd forgotten about this and meredith of everett washington pointed this out saying yes regina put him back in the mirror at the beginning of season four But he got impatient with Regina's crap promises to let him out again later. So he betrayed her by luring her and Emma into danger of Ingrid, the Snow Queen. After that Mm. happened, Ingrid rewarded him by setting Sidney free. What he did after that is anyone's guess, considering the fact of how abusive Regina is when he's being helpful. You can bet that she'd be out for blood after the events of 405 Breaking Glass. 
If Sydney had any brains, he would have left town shortly after that. But Sydney's never been known for his brains when it comes to Regina. Or mirror puzzles. Yeah. You're so mean. <laughs> <laughs> so Regina and Emma are trapped in there. Well, meanwhile, this, this back and forth starts. And we get to see Evil Queen trying to mother up Henry, basically. Who made you face your fears? Who didn't tolerate your crying and toughened you up? What does that have to do with anything? That was me. The one with the spine, not that weak T version. T. <laughs> so she likes her teeth strong. Now, I do remember in past episodes when we got to see Henry adopted by Regina, she was a bit soft at that times, and that's when she learned how to be more of a mother, but then the season one Regina that we see and what it's been like after raising Henry for a decade is, I think, a bit more of the evil queen Regina. (laughs) Mm -hmm. She was both before the rest of them. (laughs) Yeah, she had a couple of scary, Evil Queen had a couple of of scary parental recommendations in there. But at at the same time, I thought the scene had some great singers as well, especially in Emma's court when she figured out that it was, that the dragon was going to be a dragon. And seriously, (laughs) along with the discussion with with Regina saying, don't martyr yourself, I'm the one with the death sentence. Hmm. Wow, these are good. And then Regina follows up with the, every time I look at Mommy Dearest over there, (laughs) I thought, oh. These are just, they deserve a little medal for this one. And then a reference from the Evil Queen to Cora, which is always a scary reference. And Regina also said, I'm afraid to raise Henry alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think they're setting up something. And I'll tell you more what that setup is later. See, I'm setting mm-hmm. up something too. Wow. <laughs> I think they want to mislead us. But I'll talk about that more in a moment. I thought it was smart of Henry to use the hammer on the mirror. And our chat room during the live show was saying, Henry, smash the mirror, smash the mirror. Oh, that's funny because I didn't even think of it. But I was thinking, dude, just walk out. She has to save them (laughs) or she'll die. Yeah. I did wonder about that. It's like playing the ultimate game of chicken once upon a time style. Yeah. In the Enchanted Forest, (laughs) they actually play dragon. Yeah. <laughs> True. Ding 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 ding. You you win. <laughs> when when they all get out though, I thought, boy, they're really rubbing in and Henry especially rubbing in the loneliness that Evil Queen faces. And you can see it on her face how effective that actually is. And Gareth sent in this feedback saying, what does the evil queen want? She wants what all villains want, everything. Of course, she wants revenge on Snow White, but having achieved that in a sense, she is probably not feeling satisfied. It's not surprising that she is drawn towards Henry. After all, pretty much every villain in the show has had an interest in being loved or being included in a family. The evil queen's motivation might also borrow an element from the Snow Queen wanting to be understood. The evil part has been rejected. It has literally been ripped out and thrown away. She wanted Henry to understand her better. She talked to Zelina about her being the only one to really understand her. She may be drawn to gold as someone who might understand her. The dragon talked about balance and the battle belonging inside Regina's soul. 
Perhaps Regina understanding and accepting the unwanted and unpleasant parts of herself will be a part of bringing her back together. I think accepting those shadow parts of the self is different than embracing or loving them as has been played with in the past. Thank you very much, Gareth, for that great feedback. Uh, yes. And yeah. especially with little introductions of things like this and when she was pretending to be Regina and Henry hugged her, she had this look like, oh, that's what that feels like. Love. <laughs> yes. Interesting. But at the same time, I find myself going, we don't need to see Regina have another redemption arc. Like it's already happened. Right. We don't need to see it again. Like, now let's watch the evil queen learn to be good again. So I think pretty, possibly pretty quickly even, I think the only way it can end is to sort of reintegrate. They've said too many things to just, like, trap her somewhere. Mm. There doesn't seem Mm. to be a way to kill her, and I don't think they want that either. I think that she'll become part of Regina again. And I kind of like that this season really has a different overall villain than we initially thought it would be. You know, we thought mm-hmm. this would be the Jekyll and Mr. Hyde villain mm-hmm. arc. Yeah. And that was done in a very short amount of time. <laughs> and now it's this bigger arc that we thought back at the end of season five, we thought, oh, this is this is kind of stupid that they're taking us here and it's going to be Evil Queen versus everyone else all over again. I probably called for the quick resolution of it, too. Yeah, I think we did. <laughs> And here it's turning out that it's the other way around and it's turning out pretty good. There are some good episodes this season. Well, especially yeah, once, bad ones, but. once they acknowledge that it couldn't remove an entire part of who Regina is yeah. and explain some of the technical things that didn't make sense. It's, yeah, it's working out pretty well. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to watch, except when she's with gold. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I a second bit your dang. I wish. Uh, I wish we could add visuals to our soundboard because Hook's uh, <laughs> face. Well, everybody's faces, but especially Hook's cringing, really is something that we could reference frequently. That's about the face I make every time I drink coffee, too. Oh, <laughs> not where I thought you were going with that. That was low. What about tea? Aladdin and Jasmine are walking on the street after the whole thievery thing. And again, they are not kissing. We've never seen Aladdin and Jasmine kiss. And you are obsessed with it, my friend. (laughs) Since being in Storybrooke. So I think their kiss does have some kind of magic to it. But tonight, tonight, let me change that. (laughs) Except in this episode, they kind of, well, how do you take the way they were when Zelina said, implied that they had a relationship and they got all awkward and they're like, ah, we're not. Back when Jenny and I were just friends <laughs> and uh, we were Skyping each other because mm-hmm. it was a remote friendship and remote relationship, really long distance relationship. <laughs> but um, we were Skyping and uh, video Skype and it was in a public place and there were some of her um fellow kind of co-workers uh, around at that time and someone saw us skyping and i heard what the guy said he said like oh is that your boyfriend 
And this was back before Jenny and I were officially a thing. We were we were close friends, although I knew at that time I wanted to pursue her. So I was very interested in what would her response be. <laughs> and it was kind of like this, that kind of awkwardness of, uh, no, 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 we're, we're just friends. Kind of thing. Well, we're much more than friends now. <laughs> We're husband and wife, if you didn't know. I should hope so. <laughs> yeah, Noodle Baby is on the way, too. Yes. Goodness so gracious. I think that's what that was. It's this, they do love each other, but they kind of aren't comfortable admitting it yet. Or they, they kind of feel like, no, we're, we're not right for each other, even though we totally are. And Jasmine still kind of wants to see if he steps up and sort of finds the kingdom and all that, you know. Yeah. Well, there's that, but there's also, they really haven't settled how things were left, have yeah. they? No, I mean, they really haven't. haven't. We haven't seen them have a conversation about Aladdin taking off and whether he took off because he was afraid of what was happening between the two of them or or whether it was just the, the pressure of being the savior because it could easily have been both. Yeah. And... It feels like it's a story that they're going to continue as a side story, this thing about finding Agrabah and such, and maybe they'll eventually kiss. So knowing how they feel right now about the nature of their relationship explains why they haven't kissed Mm -hmm. uh, here in in this land, at least. You know, it's interesting having their whole storyline in here and possible threats and things in the distance, but not having to think about it every single episode and have the show be taken over by it. The core once upon a time is coming out more than ever, and yet they've still got this other stuff brewing. Yeah. Yeah, it is nice. And one of those things that's brewing is something is in the lamp. Someone is in the lamp. So they say someone's inside. But you know what that tells me? Someone's inside. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't it be a But not the genie. It'd be amazing if they decided to rub the lamp and it just kind of (laughs) goes, and there's nothing in there. Well... Aladdin knows it's not his old pal. So who is that old pal? Would it be Sydney? Now, one thing we do know about the lamp design. So we've done more research on this Mm -hmm. and the the fans and Matthew Paul and others have also helped us with this. This lamp does look the same as Sydney's lamp from uh, Once Upon a Time. Mm -hmm. This is not Cyrus's lamp, as we discussed in initial reactions. Cyrus was in a bottle. A bottle. And Very this is not Jafar's lamp. Sorry, we have to spoil the end of Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, but we've already done it. This is not the lamp that Jafar was put in. That was also a bottle-like thing, but it was black. We have seen this lamp, though, in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Yes, it was have. one of the three genie lamps that was in there. It wasn't Cyrus's. It was one of Cyrus's brothers. Oh. So it does have a Wonderland connection, which does then have a slight Jafar connection. But maybe his brother was the genie from Aladdin stories. Maybe. Uh, so Story, so who is the pal? Was it Sidney? Was it one of yeah. Cyrus's brothers? Or was it maybe a yet-to-be-known genie, like the Robin Williams Disney genie? I would be really disappointed if Sidney was the genie from that story. Yeah. Me too. He doesn't have Me enough too. character. He's kind of a, a wimp. Well, we got two different pieces of feedback on this. DeAndre said, The mystery genie cannot be Jafar, 
Unless Nyx from the Wonderland series jumped him from his black bottle to this lamp, then it has to be another genie completely. They have stated that Wonderland is canon, so if it is, then this mystery genie has to be a good guy, someone we haven't met yet, or they'll have to explain the bottle to lamp switch in a way that would make some type of sense in the context of the show. Thanks for the podcast. You all are awesome. Thank you, DeAndre. <laughs> I, I think, yes, but that might be also one of those things that we as fans say, wait, they need to explain this, but they as showrunners might forget that there's a big difference between these two things. Now, on the other side, Gareth said, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Jafar is in the lamp. Continuity between Once and Wonderland has been sketchy at best, so the lamps not looking the same is hardly reason to doubt Jafar is in there. In Disney's The Return of Jafar, Jafar comes back as a genie. I wouldn't be surprised, however, if Jafar already has a master. Aladdin rubbing the lamp and becoming Jafar's master would be comical, but probably not lead to the right level of drama. Now that genies are involved, it raises the possibility that someone wished Agrabah away. Jafar could have tricked one of his masters into doing so. I previously theorized that Agrabah could be inside a bottle. It is also possible that it could be all inside the lamp. Then the trick would be Aladdin and Jasmine trying to figure out how to get it out. Thank you very much, Gareth, for the great feedback. Mm. That sounds complicated. (laughs) Whatever the case, we're going to see a genie, I think, in Storybrooke. Like an actual genie, not formerly genie, but actual genie. Now that we've referenced Sydney again, though, I wonder if he might have for some reason decided to hide in there. (laughs) <laughs> that could be <laughs> that could be funny to see him like think. i don't know how but maybe he knew something about how the lamp works and he was just like i'm i'm going in there it's he, not safe out here he's no, there. no one's gonna follow me yeah like <laughs> chowing down on bond levons and then he pops out and aladdin and jasmine find him and he's like oh, i thought i was safe <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of trying to be safe at least bell has the wand. So she takes it to Zelina. And uh, we know of the line, I will always find you. It's a special line between the Charmings. And I know some of the fans don't like hearing it over and over in every season. But now here's a different version of it. When Abusive Rumple is saying it to <laughs> Belle, no matter where you go, I'll find you. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more of a threat this time than it's ever been used before. Mm-hmm. Some of the writers are saying abusive rumple is my favorite rumple. I was reading some tweets going back and forth between today's writer and some fans. Well, actually, they weren't going back and forth. They were going at the writer. No. And and it was a fairly aggressive uh, subset of, of viewers who were very angry that rumble, the pair of them together, had been ruined as a couple. And they were particularly upset that Rumpel was being uh, allowed to pursue such an oppressive and at least verbally violent path. And I know Matthew was just asking about which writer, um, the, uh, and I can't remember her name now. Leah Fong. Leah, Leah Fong. Fong. Yeah. Thank you. Um, she, was, she was the one that's on her Twitter feed. I think it was from Monday. And, and as I was reading it, I sort of saw what they were saying, that it is, it is disturbing. It should be disturbing to see Rumpel 
saying things like that to Belle and and trapping her and and doing the I'll I'll find you and it being a, a threat. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I think it's really important to have moments where you have threats like that that you then allow characters to overcome and get out of and win specifically so people who find themselves in situations like that have something to look at and say well it doesn't matter if it's fiction when you're in the middle of a horrible story of your own to be able to look at it and say okay well she could do it so maybe i can too and maybe one of the directions this will go is something that Gareth suggested in another piece of feedback. He said, I previously theorized that Rumpel might use the shears of destiny on himself to escape his fate as a coward or dark one. If he keeps provoking Belle, perhaps mm-hmm. she will be the one to use the shears on him. Mm-hmm. Though this would ruin my Rumpel redeeming dark magic theory. Hmm. Well. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> By its nature. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In a way, it's surprising that he wasn't this way a long time ago. He's mm-hmm. the dark yeah. one. Although now he's theoretically a worse dark one than he was before. But he's been chasing his power and chasing his selfishness for centuries. I mean, I guess he had maybe the love of his son to hold on to for a while. And now he doesn't. That didn't turn out so well. And I don't know. I don't know what else would have even been keeping him from being this way. This is a little more in keeping with his character as it's generally presented. Let me remind you of something. Mm. Season two. Mm-hmm. Hook comes, sweeps away Mila. Mm-hmm. R- Rumple turns into the dark one, gets to come back, finds Hook, kills Mila, <laughs> his wife, because she ran away with Hook. I think it's kind of the same rumple. Yeah. We have seen him do this kind of thing. It just wasn't stretched out back then. He just killed her. Yeah, but Mila was pretty mean to him, wasn't she? I mean, she before she took off, she she lit into him, but good, several times yeah. that Although I remember. Mila, and Belle's just not. Yeah, Mila was genuinely willing to work things out. Yeah. I, I think, but... At what point? Uh, before, before Hook. Oh, based on things we've seen since, right? Back yeah. then, yeah, yeah. She she yeah, would have she... been willing to work things out, and she gave hints of things, but Rumple would not go along. He just kept being the coward. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like when he killed Mila, it had been a long time since he loved her. It probably had been a while. Whereas he still has something that he thinks is love for Belle. Or he has feelings for Belle, or he but he has a, a no idea. Bell. Like, he has no idea how to actually love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, yeah. Dark One, like, how can he? That's always really kind of been a question. It's true. If there's any chance for that relationship from a story mythology standpoint, they have to end the Dark One curse, which is what it is. Mm. Mm. it's like when there's and that's where the balance thing is kind of silly too when there's when light is winning people tend to smile and hug and eat meals and when the darkness is winning people tend to die and cry and bleed and stuff like it just needs it's not something to just turn into something good 
Right. And, and that's what we see in this season, I think, is darkness is getting little victories here and there. And that's what's leading to everyone tearing themselves <laughs> apart. I've been waiting all night. <laughs> is it sad that I've actually been looking for a place to set you up for that? <laughs> I was like, oh, no, we're basically done talking about the queen. What are we going to do? <laughs> now, in this same scene with Rumpel, Zelina, and Belle, I loved the connection back to season four when Rumpel then started choking Zelina, but then that caused a heart attack on himself. Which I so did not understand. Yeah, let me take you back to season four, episode 17 or 18, depending on how you want to count it, because season four was <laughs> that kind of weird one. Uh, as far as numbers, that is. In the episode called Heart of Gold, that's when we discovered Zelina had been parading around as Marion. Remember that wow moment that was like, oh my gosh, no way. Wow. Is wow another word for disgust? Well, there was some disgust, but I mean wow <laughs> as in like plot line and story. Yes. So here are some of the events that happened then to remind you of the things. Rumple was kicked out of Storybrooke. Belle pushed him out, remember? Commanded him to leave and, and all of that. Oh, yeah. uh, because she'd just been fed up with his going back to the darkness. <laughs> Seems to be a recurring thing, a nasty habit for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he is crippled. He's uh, in New York City looking for Neil's apartment as a place to move in and stay there while then he plots his revenge and all of this stuff. So... He goes to Neil's apartment, and that's where Robin and Zelina, disguised as Marion, are. They're living there in Neil's apartment, and Rumpel comes in, and he's like, No, you have to leave. This is my son's place. How dare you take this place? This is mine. And then he has a heart attack. Remember, he has no magic. Uh. So he's susceptible to things. This is also when his heart is turning dark because of all of his dark deeds and all of this kind of stuff. So he has this heart attack he's in the hospital and when robin sees him robin takes some pity on him and goes and steals this potion that's supposed to heal his heart and all of this stuff brings back the potion it was switched because zelina disguised as marion switched the bottles then marion comes in talking to rumple and then she uh, shows the necklace and then it's revealed that this has been Zelina this whole time. That's when Rumpel starts getting really nervous. And then Zelina, fantastic acting, by the way, on Rebecca Mater's part in the scene, just the, the dripping of, in- I mean, it, it looks like she's just dripping with envy and anger and rage because she just really rubs it in that she killed Rumpel's son. And he then never avenged her death because she's still alive and that he failed at avenging his son's death because she was still alive and just rubbing that into him while he's there without magic. His heart is in bad condition. He's basically dying. So she has this potion that Robin had stolen and then she swapped it out and she is willing to give him the potion, but that's where the deal comes in. The deal was... Uh, that she would get Rumpel's help to have the writer give Zelina a happy ending, because remember, this is back when they're looking for the author. <laughs> and Rumpel would stop trying to kill Zelina and all of this in exchange for that heart curing potion. 
So here, back in this episode of Once Upon a Time in Season 6, when she says that she saved his life, basically, I think that's a bit of an overstatement because she didn't save his life. It's more like not dropping you when I picked you up and dangled you over the chasm of death. That's how I saved your life. Mm -hmm. That's the deal they had. And that she somehow put into place some sort of thing that meant Rumpel could never hurt her. I think makes sense because part of that deal was he would stop trying to kill her. But to have it revert back to the heart attack when it wasn't her magic that saved him. She saved him in the sense that she was the one who handed him the potion. Well. (laughs) After she was the one who swapped it out and tricked Robin into giving the wrong one. I think it might be a little bit of a stretch. Yeah. But I think the connection as far as you can't harm me because it will harm you, I think that connection does make sense because of the nature of the deal. They have a lot of interrelated lives. They do. Yeah. And speaking of interrelated lives, Snow and Charming are having a tough time with theirs. And just that that heart-wrenching montage in the beginning Mm -hmm. is hard enough. Mm But then when Snow's there with that pad of paper and she just says, I can't do this anymore. I miss you. And she rips off a perfectly good piece of paper and wads it up in her hand. Well, not because of that, but because of what she said. <laughs> I'm just thinking, ouch, my heart. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you've got a whole one. They're doing this whole yeah. thing half-heartedly. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> you've been waiting all night for that one. Nope. Send but, your hate you mail to <laughs> Jeremy. Tweet him at Fleegon. <laughs> Better than sharing a brain. You know, if if you're single, if you've never been in a, a, a love, a romantic love relationship, then maybe you can't sympathize mm. as much or empathize as Tread much. Tread carefully here, my friend. I know I am treading carefully. <laughs> uh, I know you can sympathize. But like for me, when I would see this kind of stuff before I was ever in a relationship, it was just like, okay, that's kind of cute. Now, uh, now that I've been married for five years and Jenny and I have come through some hard times and uh, marriage always gets better. You have to work at marriage. That's my tip. Do not give up. Please don't give up on marriage. You need to work at it. And there is light at the end of the tunnel and it's not an oncoming train. It's not death. <laughs> it is life, a wonderful life. And so now five years into our marriage, marriage is wonderful. It's sweet. Uh, Because we've worked really hard on it. And so when I see these kinds of things in TV that just like the line, I miss you, and then seeing them so close together, Mm -hmm. but so far apart, Mm -hmm. there's a part of me that's so much different now because I've been married, I've been through struggles and come to the other side. There's that part of me that just hurts extra because... Mm -hmm. And I think some other people can relate to this too. In some ways, I could see myself in that place and realize, oh, I wouldn't be able to do that. I, I, I also would feel like... I totally had the same reaction as you, Daniel. My husband and I just had our 20th anniversary. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. And it's, uh, it is absolutely true that it's work and it's the best kind of work you'll ever do. And you'll find that the the next best kind of work you'll ever do is having kids, which is also a lot of work. But the thing that I've also noticed is the rhythm of life changes so markedly depending on whether it's just the two of you or 
baby makes three or four or uh, however those dynamics change. And it's always a new learning process and it's, and it's always a new uh, ripple. And in looking at the Charmings and how many different ripples they've had to learn how to live in, it's a, a, a remarkable example of a marriage that maybe because of the flashbacks, they never get boring. They never go through the problem that you have so often on sitcoms where the, the people who've been sparring, romantically sparring with each other, they finally get together and then everybody goes, yeah, okay, let's tune into something else because this is really boring. <laughs> they don't, they haven't gone there. They have their arguments and they disagree and they come back together again. And I think it's that part of that arc that's, even though they're in the middle of a fantasy world, is rather realistic, that for, for her to hit that point where she's just... She just misses him too much. There's nothing else to say in writing because she misses having the the actual contact so much. It was heartbreaking. And the montage at the beginning was bad enough. But like you, I, the, the rumpled up piece of paper just killed me. But what killed me even more was when he pulled it out of her hand and I winced. And then to have her say, I know I miss you too. Mm-hmm. And I just went... <laughs> <laughs> and I can't let anybody see me for a little while. Because it was, it was lovely. And after as many years as they've been together, yeah, that is, that's where they'd go. And that was really, really nice. And also, as they're pointing out in the chat room, Ash mentioned, and the separated for 28 years. Yes. Yes. And thank you for the hugs, Ash. I appreciate that. It's very sweet. I do have a technical question about it, though. <sighs> Has it been three days yet? <laughs> um, are we talking like biblical resurrection no, three days i Why? just mean <laughs> like how much have they endured at this point because i think mm. we saw it get dark once during the montage maybe twice and then there was the night of the dance slash the mirror escapade and i think that's it i think it's been like three days yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's been something like that. A couple days, a few days. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> it, it, but when you're separated like that, it can feel like an eternity. Well, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty there. So that yeah. sort of makes things worse. Despite their having to run away from the evil queen, Violet and Henry do get their nice little date inside of Granny's middle school date, high school style. <laughs> <laughs> and Grandpa's tie. yes that was adorable (laughs) i know henry's yawning things but it it is cute to see (laughs) their little relationship Mm -hmm. and see kind of life going on and both of his mothers watching him grow up like even they they said that earlier when they were looking through the mirror and saw him there checking for zits they said he's so grown up (laughs) he and they're watching him you know, be a gentleman to the lady. They're watching him you know, ask a girl out on a dance. And they concluded, what more does he really need to know? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Honestly didn't understand the bit about we already did raise him. Like, well, yeah. yeah, I guess. Well, that's the of. thing. The, so that, yeah, it makes more sense watching the episode a couple times. In this episode, Regina is all concerned about, I'm not going to be there to raise him. I won't be there to raise him. I won't be there to raise him Mm -hmm. throughout this episode. And this is where she acknowledges, oh, 
I guess I have already raised him. Yeah. Yeah, he'll be okay. I still think they should have included a heartbreaking story at some point where Henry was literally separated from them for like three years. Well, I don't think the heartbreak is done. And then he grew up and he literally is 16. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Well, <laughs> they could have pulled at the heartstrings and they could have aged him. And I can think of a few clever ways to do it. But then all of these things would make just a slight bit more sense than they do for a 13-year-old. I think they are going to pull the heartstrings, rip out the heart and crush it, so to speak. Or smash it with a hammer. Here's my theory. Emma said in this scene where she and Regina are watching Henry and watching him all grown up and things, Emma said, he's going to be okay, isn't he? And in this episode, we we see that several times from Emma, this thing of, I'm not going to be there for you. I, I, I mean, Emma just kind of accepting the fact that she's going to die. She's not going to be there for Henry. But Emma's accepting he's going to be okay, right? And at the same time, Regina acknowledging that she did already raise Henry. I think we're watching the wrong person. What I think is going to happen, Emma is not going to die. Regina is. They're setting it up so much for Emma to be the one to die all of the pulling all of these heartstrings, Emma saying he's going to be okay, all right, I mean, right? And I, I can he go on without me? And I think that I'm not going to be there for him. All of this stuff, it makes me think of uh, the second Batman movie of the modern ones, Batman Dark Knight, mm. uh, where Batman has to face that choice between saving Rachel mm-hmm. and saving Harvey Dent. And he makes the choice to save Rachel, and they they make it look like he's going to save Rachel, but he's actually saving Harvey and loses Rachel. I think they're kind of doing a sort of switch like that on us, that they're setting it up that Emma's going to be the one who won't be there. Emma's going to be the one who will die, but it's going to be a big twist, rip out our hearts and crush them in front of our faces, that Regina will actually be the one to die. And it will be a special moment, I think, that Henry will say, Mom, you raised me. You were there. You taught me how to be tough. You taught me how to be kind. You toughened me up. You softened me. You taught me how to love. You taught me how to resist the darkness. And it will be a beautiful goodbye. But I think it will be a goodbye to Regina. And Emma will stay alive. It's risky. I know it's risky. It's risky for two reasons. The obvious of losing a beloved character and excellent actress is also risky because we've already seen some pretty moving death scenes that got reversed. It would be tough to do it in a way that means something without people going, yeah, but... Unless it's end of series. Well, yeah, (laughs) if there are no more episodes in which to undo it, that would mean something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's my theory. It's real downer, Daniel. So watch Regina. (laughs) I mean, even rewatch this episode and watch for how much they want us to focus on Emma and her coming fate and how they seem to hint at a, a Regina fate instead. Interesting. Gee, you're so much deeper than I am because my only response to the scene was, wait a minute, 
Some guy asked a girl to dance? <laughs> Violet, grab him, marry him now. Are you kidding? You're never going to have this happen to you again. <laughs> but that was clearly my, my own bias. <laughs> so evil queen hurting and feeling lonely, feeling left out, not invited to the dance and all No of one that. dances with her. This is what yeah. I'm saying. So except Rumpel, it seems... That's not dancing. Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> so how far he wants her to go is to kill her own sister. And she looks like she actually has a problem with that. Yeah, because now her sister, Zelina, is the last person left to accept Regina for who she is. I think she knows Rumpel is using her. Yeah. Yeah. It's what Gareth said earlier, right? In the the comment that you read. What does she want? She wants everything. Yeah. She wants to be beloved. She wants to have her way. She wants to have revenge. She wants she wants all the things. And she finally got a sister and that loss would be one that she'd feel. Mm-hmm. So Rumpel is trying to find that loophole and that is to get Regina to kill Zelina. Uh, I, I don't know if, if Evil Queen, that is not Regina, but I don't know if Evil Queen will actually succeed in that. It, it definitely is going to be a crisis for her. It is a crisis for her because this is the last person she has the chance to have some kind of relationship and understanding and acceptance and love from. And now she's being asked to kill that person in order to get her revenge and potentially in order to get Rumpel's help in order to get Henry back, I think, is also part of her motivation. So it's kind of, okay, Zelina or Henry, which would you rather have? You can only have one. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Brutal choice. It is. So this concludes our discussion of I'll Be Your Mirror. What do you think of this episode? And what kinds of thoughts and theories maybe did we leave out? A couple announcements here for you. Uh, there, remember, there won't be a Once Upon a Time episode on this coming Sunday, November 20th. That's because of the American Music Awards. Episode 609 airs on November 27th, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And then episode 610, which seems to be the winter finale, will air on December 4th. Then no more episodes for a while. But even though Thanksgiving is coming up... We'll still have a special episode for you, not a Thanksgiving-themed episode, but Jeremy and I have already gone to see and recorded our review of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, a fun movie. Uh, You don't have to have watched Harry Potter in order to enjoy Fantastic Beasts, but if you have watched Harry Potter, I think you'll enjoy Fantastic Beasts just a little bit more because of reasons we discuss in that episode. So watch for episode 273 to be released very soon for our review of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. And don't worry, the first portion of our review is spoiler-free. So if you want to just know in general what do we think and should you go see the movie, well, in general, yes, we think you should go see the movie. (laughs) It's very fun. But if you want to know a little bit more details than that, then watch for our review at oncepodcast.com slash 273. And we give a very clear warning for when we share spoilers because we do share spoilers. But seriously, as soon as you hear that spoiler warning, turn it off. (laughs) Yeah, and like just because we spoil everything after that. Pretty quickly, actually. Star Wars and... (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) And Harry Potter and other things. But watch for that episode. will be released soon. So that'll give you something extra that you can listen to 
on your Thanksgiving break from the podcast and from Once Upon a Time, since we won't have an episode of Once Upon a Time this coming Sunday, and thus we won't do another couple episodes of our podcast during that same break. But we hope you have a safe and happy Thanksgiving. And even if you're not in the United States or you're not celebrating Thanksgiving, we hope that you still get some good time to spend with your family and giving thanks for things, which is something that really we should be doing every day. And a couple people I want to thank for this episode are those who left some reviews for us in iTunes. First, Johnson132, who's probably not listening anymore because they left a one-star review. Now, it's a negative review, yes, and they do criticize a couple things about us, sure, but I'm grateful that they were honest. They took the time, Johnson132 took the time (laughs) to explain why, and they took the time to say something, and even though I'm going to assume Johnson 132 isn't listening any longer. We appreciate the honesty. I truly do. And Jessica Cooper Boom said, best Once Upon a Time podcast. If you love Once Upon a Time, you will love this podcast. They break down every episode of Once Upon a Time so well. The initial reactions are fun and the full episode discussions are very in-depth. I don't always agree with their viewpoints, but I love all the information and theories. They even have spoilers. And hey, you'll be hearing some of those spoilers in just a moment. If you are into that sort of thing, they also have a great website with forums and the best timeline of Once Upon a Time events ever. Shout out to Keb, who manages our timeline for us over at oncepodcast.com slash timeline. So thank you for the kind and honest reviews for Once Podcast. It's a nice way that you can give back to the podcast. Even if you never want to send us feedback or something or theories for the podcast, This can still be a way to get your voice heard in the podcast or shout out who your favorite character is or something like that. Go to oncepodcast.com slash 272 and click on the iTunes button to write a review for us in iTunes. Even if you're in a country outside of the United States, we still get to see all of those iTunes reviews and can give you a shout out, read a portion of your review in an upcoming episode. And thank you very much for that. So please go to the show notes for this episode, onespodcast.com slash 272 to share this episode out, to continue the conversation by uh, commenting there on the site, getting the link to the forums, getting the screenshots and other stuff that we mentioned in this episode, as well as sending us your feedback for future episodes of Once Upon a Time, because all of our contact information is in the show notes for every episode of the podcast down at the bottom of those show notes. Please connect with us on Twitter at Once Podcast. And I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at The Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon. That's P H L E G O N. And I'm Heather Ordover on Twitter as Mama O. This podcast would not be possible without our great team behind us supporting each episode. So special thanks to Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes. Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our spoilers. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul for moderating our forums. Keb for masterminding our timeline. And to my co-hosts, Jeremy, Aaron, Heather, Hunter, and Jacqueline for hosting the podcast with me. And until next time, remember, no matter where you go, I'll find you. And thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx.
Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you would like to be a hero too, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Hi, Winsers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast, episode 609, Changelings. In a fairy tale land flashback, Rumple collects Jack and Jill's son as bait to lure a powerful being to him. Back in Storybrooke, Gold tells the Evil Queen that she must kill Zelina, and the Evil Queen makes a decision that will change her relationship with her sister forever. When Belle discovers Gold's plans for their son, she convinces Hook and Emma to help her steal squid ink that can immobilize him. And as a result, Belle is left to make a sacrifice that will affect the lives of everyone in Storybrooke. Meanwhile, Jasmine finds a genie-less lamp that she hopes to use to save Agrabah, and Aladdin finds a way to be her hero. This one's written by David H. Goodman and Brian Riggins, and is directed by Marzi Almas. Yeah, so this is a big episode, I feel like. Yeah, Squid Ink. Squid Ink! Jeremy's going to be so happy. (laughs) (laughs) I Um, wish I was able to see him, like... On, as they're recording, or right, or as they're watching it in two weeks, and just sees reaction to the squid ink. I agree. Also, the last sentence of this press release really confuses me, because last week in episode eight, I'll Be Your Mirror, Aladdin found the lamp and gave it to Jasmine. So I don't understand how, I don't understand this last sentence. <laughs> I remember seeing a photo with multiple lamps. So maybe... Maybe there's another lamp out there. I don't know where I saw this photo, but I remember a photo with multiple lamps. Okay. Maybe there are more. Well, well we have like two weeks to find out because just as a reminder, guys, it is not on this Sunday. Yes. This is a hiatus week. Yes. The AMC awards are out. Yep. Some sort of award show. So we do have some guest stars. Yes. We have Keegan Connor Tracy as the Blue Fairy. Beverly Elliott is back as Granny. Of course, we have Dennis Ockdennis as Aladdin and Karen David as Jasmine. Giles Matthey is returning as here they have him just being called Son, but we last saw him in episode one where he was pretending to be Morpheus. Mm-hmm. Nick Hunnings as Jack. Tammy Gillis as Jill. Jamie Murray as the Black Fairy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that one in a second. And Edwina Schuster as aged nun and Jackie Lay as novice fairy. There's a lot of fairies in this one. There is a lot of fairies. So the Black Fairy, guys, a storyline that was um, teased or at least brought into existence way, way back at the very end of season 3A, uh, going home, is getting some kind of fleshing out and resolution, maybe. Maybe. Unless it's a different black fairy. Oh gosh. <laughs> let's let's hope for the sake of continuity it's not. <laughs> but yeah, that one surprised I think everybody. Well, it's funny because if you read if you look at the promo, you look at the photos and you wa- read the synopsis, there's absolutely no mention of other fairies. Right. Right. Unless I, you read guest stars, you wouldn't even know that blue fairies in this one. Yep. So I'm guessing Black Fairy is the being that Rumple is trying to lure using Jack and Jill's son in the Enchanted Forest of the Past. And I'm going to guess the Novice Fairy messes something up. Oh, okay. And Well, she's um, a novice. They, 
they generally mess things up. Yeah. So, and at the top of the press release, one of the big things it said was that Rumpel's reason for why he hates fairies is finally revealed. So, so I, I guess we're getting uh, quite a bit of a story here. Yeah. So we did get a promo if you watched the end of the last episode. We did, and it's quite intense. It is. It's a very, very heavy Rumple episode. It is, and not in a good way. Not in a way that makes anybody like Rumple. <laughs> no, he looks so mean. He's he's being quite terrible this season so far. Yeah. So it opens with Rumple and the Evil Queen, and in his wonderful Dark One voice. There's no one. There's nowhere to hide from me, dearie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, We do see him lashing out like he grabs Hook in a chokehold like we've seen him do so many times. And we even see Belle saying that there must be a way to stop him. Yeah, because he looks very angry. Yeah. And And we never see him dressed up in the fairy tale as the crocodile. mm. um, I think there's going to be a lot of it. It's all storybook. And I... I think what's happening here is he's moving forward with his plans to use the shears on Morpheus, the son. And um, I believe Belle's pregnancy is probably going to be accelerated. It looks it, like it. It does look like she's going into labor this episode. Yeah. But we don't – I don't think she's that far along, do you? No. Belle herself cannot be because – just based on the timeline. I mean it actually hasn't been that long since they came back from the underworld. Yeah. And so, magical pregnancy. Yep. I hope she didn't eat the onion rings. Right. Clearly, there are some onion rings that are going to be passed around this episode. <laughs> we got a lot of photos. We did. We got quite a lot of photos. And unlike what we've been t- um, having this whole season, they're actually of multiple scenes. I know, right? It's amazing. Looks like a lot of them take place in the library. Mm-hmm, where we see um, Emma and Hook with Belle trying to help her. Mm-hmm. And then another point, it looks like it's the front desk of the library. Rumple like, shows up behind Belle. Yes. And they obviously have some kind of conversation that doesn't, I think, go very well. <laughs> I don't think so. Belle looks really upset. And then it does look like she's trying to get into that elevator shaft as if she's trying to get away from Rumple. And then there's this great picture of Rumpel sit, standing in a corner. And in my head, the first thing that came to me is nobody puts Rumpel in a corner. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And then we have several of... Oh, no. Wait. Let me talk about the potion bottle. And then we do see a close-up of Rumpel, and he's holding a potion bottle. Yeah, but it doesn't look like squid ink, so it's not like he took it from them. Right. It doesn't look like squid ink, so I don't know what he's got going on there. And unless that's all CG. Oh, possibly. But I, it didn't look green like a dark, like a green screen. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what's in that bottle. And then we see a few of Zelina sitting in her house by at a table by herself. Um, and then there are a couple close-ups of Regina wearing a really fabulous coat. Yes. I really, really I think, love that coat. I think she's at Zelina's house. Yes, I agree. But from looking at the background... And then the last scene we have is there's a lot of photos at Granny's of Emma and Huck, like at the counter. Mm-hmm. And there's even one with Belle. Yeah. So we're going to be seeing lots of different locations this episode. Oh, and one of the other ones we saw was Belle holding her belly and with lots of look of pain. 
Yeah. Yep. So probably right after her pregnancy gets accelerated. Fast tracked. Yep. Lucky. Okay. But we did get a script tease. I mean, we for, did. For not having an episode this week, we got quite a bit of stuff. Yeah. We actually were expecting to get nothing and that we weren't going to record anything. Yeah. And it turns out we have a lot of stuff. Yeah. So who would you like to be, Mr. Gold or Belle? So I will read for the part of Mr. Gold, and then I will also read the stage direction. Yes, true. But Belle, after all this time, don't you know, I will never be the man you think I can be. Now he's upon her, and this isn't threatening. It's confessional. It doesn't have to be that way. All right. Well, then Rumble, stop doing really bad things. I know, right? Like, like just, just stop at this point. Just stop. We know you're the dark one. We know you want to be dark. But if you really do love her... Stop yeah. being such a bad man. Stop doing all these things you're doing that are just completely horrible. So we do also have a new episode title, episode 613, Ill Boating Patterns, which is written by Andrew Chambliss and Dana Horgan. And, you know, that's, uh, that's a weird title. They, I know. They're going for weird titles for the second half of the season, guys. It feels to me like they're making up their own words. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I have no idea what that's in reference to. I saw some people saying that it might be a line pulled from Beowulf, the English epic poem. But yeah, no idea. None. So let's move on. We did, got some behind the scene photos. We did because they did shoot outdoors for a little bit. And there wasn't a whole lot to talk about. A lot of it is about what you'd expect the cast just kind of, you know, all together talking and moving around. Um, some things that were interesting, though, is we do see Robin when he's in Storybrooke. And he appears to be wielding a knife and he's shooting a lot of arrows. And he seems to be a bit darker than what I remember Robin being. He was That's dead, true. He so. was dead. Um, um, maybe this is just a f shadow of him? Maybe. I'm still not sure how they're bringing him back. Some people are speculating that it's page 23 Robin. Some people think that it's a Robin that's been pulled out of the past. I really have no idea. I even saw a theory that it's Robin who's going to come out of the genie's lamp. So I, I really have no idea or why he's darker than what we remember. But he's not the mirror like we thought mm. he would be because that would have been this last yep, episode. Yep, that theory was proven false. Well, that's all we have for you this week. We will not be recording next week, the 23rd. We'll be back after the American Thanksgiving on the 30th. I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Traveling Pixie. And I'm Jacqueline. You can follow me on Twitter at punk underscore bunny underscore 87. Until next time, monsters. Oh.